0: The 13th Psalm is one of, if not the most gut-wrenching psalm in the entire book. Here you have a picture of someone who is overwhelmed, someone who is in incredible danger, someone who is in desperation. And the psalmist cries out a question to God that pierces to the heart. He says, how long? Four times in the first two verses, the psalmist says, How long, how long, how long? It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death and lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him and lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. How long, God, are you going to look away from me? How long are you going to turn a blind eye to my pain? And then we think about this in juxtaposition with Jonah, in Jonah chapter three, After God spares the city of Nineveh, Jonah says, You see, this is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh. Because I knew you were a God that was abounding in steadfast love, that you were full of mercy and that you're slow to anger. And I knew that you were going to have mercy on these people and they don't deserve it. But then what's really difficult when we see that mercy of God is when we contrast that with stories like when Yuza reached up and touched the ark to keep it from falling and he falls dead immediately. Or in the New Testament, when Ananias and Sapphira tell a little story about how much money they're bringing to the church and both of them fall dead right in the sanctuary. We look at those stories in contrast to one another and we say, God, what is, what's the problem here? Why do you seem to show so much more affection and mercy for the enemies of your people than you do for your own? Do you like them better than us? Do you have more patience for them than you have for us? What's the problem, God? How long are you going to allow this to happen? And we look at God as being both apathetic to sin and too merciful to other sinners. But the problem, as we've seen, as we've already looked and seen through this book of Genesis and these stories that have been told, the problem here isn't with God, but more how we perceive or fail to perceive his actions. You see, we often want endless mercy for ourselves, but relentless judgment for our enemies or for the people in this world that we believe deserve it. But God gives both. Both justice and mercy perfectly according to his will and his wisdom. And so today we're going to pick back up in Genesis chapter 4 and we're going to continue this tragedy of Cain and Abel. And we're going to ask and pray that God would help us to see with his eyes as we encounter questions that feel too big for us to comprehend. And so we'll be back in Genesis chapter 4. And this week we're going to read verses 8 through 17. It says, Cain spoke to his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then God said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, as we spend two weeks now in this very difficult and tragic story, It's hard to feel like in a story like this we can find any good, that we can find any redemption, but the fingerprints of your mercy are all over Genesis chapter 4, as are the reminders that you are a just God who will see sin reckoned with and dealt with. And so God, as we plow through the scripture, as we think through these big, deep things, introduce yourself to us anew. Help us to know who you are and how you work, and how you live, and how we should respond in light of that. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we saw in the first half of this chapter that you have these two brothers, Cain and Abel, both with their occupations, their jobs. They both come to bring their offering to the table, to offer something up to God, and God receives one because his heart is pure and his motive's in the right place and rejects another because his heart is filled with pride and envy and jealousy. And so Cain gets angry, and he kills his brother out of his own bitterness and jealousy. And so now we pick up this story with God continuing a pattern. If you are here when we talked about Genesis chapter 3, after we see Adam and Eve fall in the garden, God presents himself with a question. He gives them a chance to answer back and he does the same thing here for Cain. He comes to Cain and he says, where is Abel your brother? And we can hear because we know that God knows, right? We know, as we're going to see, that God knows exactly where Abel is, that he knows exactly what happened. And so God isn't asking this question so that Cain can enlighten him to the situation. God is giving Cain a chance here. And we can hear in God's voice him just saying, Cain, just take responsibility for what you did, man. Just take ownership. I know, you know, we all know. Just step up here and be confessional. Be repentant. Trust yourself in the hands of my mercy and see what happens. I'm giving you a chance. But just like his father before him, Cain denies it all. And look at the the coldness and the callousness of Cain's response. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And last week we looked at how this jealousy and this bitterness and this comparison that Cain allowed to creep into his heart destroyed this community that God had put together. They needed each other. They had different gifts and skills and God put them together for a reason. But because of Cain's rivalry in his heart, that community was destroyed. And so Cain answers this question like someone who believes they have no personal responsibility for anyone else. He says, how should I know where my brother is? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to watch over him? Am I supposed to take responsibility for everything that he does? This is a picture of broken community. And it's something that comes out of our mouths all the time as we see people around us hurting and broken and in need. And when God says, what are you doing? We say, am I really my brother's keeper? Am I really supposed to care about these other people? Am I really supposed to give my time and energy and effort into looking out for and treating other people the right way? Is it really my responsibility? And the answer is the same for us as it is for Cain in this story. Yes. Absolutely. We are designed to be our brothers and sisters keepers. That's what genuine Christ honoring community is. It's people willing to lay down their lives for the good of others. It's people willing to take responsibility for those in need, take responsibility for those who are hurting, to give of ourselves so other people don't want. Yes, 100 times yes, we are meant to be our brothers and sisters keepers. But this is community brokenness. And so Cain denies anything that he did but God still knows. God still heard. And I love the poetic and tragic nature of God's response because Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God follows that up with another question, but it's a question that clearly lets Cain know that God knows. And he says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. God hears the cries of this fallen brother from the dirt. When we look at that passage in Psalms, where the psalmist cries out over and over again, How long? Saying things like, God, how long are you going to keep your face away from me? Have you forgotten me? The reason why that passage is so striking is because it bears a sentiment that all of us at some point in our lives feel a question that some of us at all points in our lives ask to God when something happens, whether it's a tragedy in our lives or a circumstance beyond our control or because of our actions, we look at God and we say, how long is this going to last? Have you forgotten me? God, don't you know that I'm hurting? Don't you know that I'm in need? God, can you hear me? And when we look at this passage of Scripture, we find out that the answer to that question is yes. That it's always yes. That God hears the cries of the broken. That God hears the cries of the hurting and those in need. That God is not a God who is apathetic or careless with the things that hurt us and the things that break our hearts. I love looking at Genesis and Revelation together. And Revelation gives us a cosmic picture of that question. In chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Or excuse me, starting in verse 9. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell in the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. These martyrs, That are gathered around the throne of God in this cosmic picture of God and all of his glory. They're crying out the same question that the psalmist was crying out How long are you going to allow us to be unavenged? How long are you going to let the righteous suffer while the evil triumph? How long are you going to let this happen? And it says that God simply wraps them up in a white robe. And he says, Rest a little longer. You see, that's the thing with God's justice and with God's judgment. It doesn't always happen on the timeline that we would like it to happen on. It doesn't always take place exactly when we want it to take place, but we have the promise in Scripture that one day it will. That one day that God is going to deal with sin and all of the brokenness and violence in this world, and he's going to put it to rest once and for all. And so when we ask the question, God, can you hear me? The answer is always yes. But he tells us the same thing that we see him tell those martyrs around the throne. Just rest a little longer. I'm not quite finished yet with what I'm doing. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose in all this. And until you see it in full, it'll be hard for you to understand. But in the meantime, just rest a little longer knowing that I know you and that I'm with you and that I'm for you. Because God is a God who hears the cries of the hurting. But we also see in this passage that he is a God who brings justice to oppression. Now I guess I'm going to have to keep talking louder and louder and louder as our subtle ambiance becomes a deafening roar. But he's a God who brings justice to oppression. And now as we get here in this passage, God is done asking questions. He's done giving Cain a chance to respond. But even if he did, at this point, what could Cain possibly say? At this point, now that God has made it clear that he knows what Cain has done, and Cain has chosen to deny it instead of taking responsibility, there's nothing that Cain could have said here. And so God hands out his punishment. And listen to the passion as God lays this out. He says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hands. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you strength, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now, as we read that, I want you to remember what we talked about last week, that Cain's occupation was to be a worker of the ground. This is who he was. This is who he was born to be. This was his purpose, not only in his own life, but in the community in which God had placed him. And so now God is saying, this ground that you used to spill your brother's blood, that you used to use to honor me and to bring about your purpose, this ground that I gave you to work, no longer is it going to yield you its strength. No longer are you going to find purpose and value in the thing that you once found purpose and value in. He had taken his identity and his purpose and stripped it away from him. But not only that, but we see that Cain is going to be a fugitive and a wonder of the earth. God says, if you want so desperately to destroy community, fine, then you don't get to have it anymore you're going to be a wanderer and you're going to go from place to place and you're going to be a fugitive as long as you live, never being able to settle, never being able to rest. And then Cain decides to speak up. And in verse 13, he said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. He continues saying, behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face shall I be hidden and I shall be a fugitive and wonder the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. He looks at God and he says, what do I have left? This punishment is too harsh. This punishment is too overbearing. I can't withstand this. I can't live this life. I can't take on this burden. This is absolutely too much for me. But here we see the consequence and the punishment for his sin fitting the crime. And we recognize here that God not only hears the cries of the hurting and the oppressed, but that he's moved by them. When God hears the voice of Abel crying out from the ground, that it moves the heart of God and not in a passive way. God doesn't meter out this judgment casually or haphazardly. God deals with this with passion and vigor, and he gives Cain the fullness of what he deserves. And so while sometimes, again, God's justice may feel delayed, he always brings justice. Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's delayed, but we serve a God who always rights wrongs a God who always deals with sin, a God who always destroys oppression, and he does it in the course of his time according to his will. But we also have the promise that one day Christ will return and make everything right and new, and that he is coming in judgment to judge the world and the sins of the world, and he's bringing with him justice as a good and just God. And so yes, God hears the cries of the hurting, and He also brings justice to oppression in those who oppress. But we also see here that God grants mercy to sinners. And while this punishment wasn't Cain's life, he didn't get a direct apples-to-apples punishment because God could have killed him right there. And even though that wasn't how God chose to deal with this, Cain's punishment was still severe, and he was afraid. Down to the core of who he was now, Cain realized the magnitude of his sin. He realized what he had done. He also realized that his consequences were going to be something that he wasn't prepared to handle. And so he does cry out to God saying, this is more than I can bear. You've taken everything from me and you're driving me away. And I'm going to be a fugitive for the rest of my life. And I don't think I can handle that. And you have to put yourself in Cain's shoes and in that mindset of knowing that what you've done has caused the life that you once knew and everything that you once had to be stripped away and everything that you found purpose and value in is gone. And he cries out to God saying, if I go anywhere, people are going to kill me. But then in verse 15, God says, not so. And in the ESV, there's a nice exclamation point there. And I love how powerful even that looks in the text as God exclaims, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen to you. In fact, if anyone kills you, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And it says that God marked Cain lest anyone find him should attack him. And then he sent him away. You see, God offers Cain a protection that he's not worthy of. Cain doesn't deserve anything from God. He had his opportunity, remember? God says, what did you do? Where is your brother? And instead of taking that responsibility, Cain says, I don't know, I don't care, not my thing. And so there should be no chance of redemption here. That should have been his one and only shot to have any sort of right standing with God to have any sort of protection. At this point, he should get whatever comes to him. But even after all he's done, when he calls out to God, God answers. When he calls desperate to his father, his father responds with mercy and an incredible mercy, saying anyone who touches you is going to be avenged sevenfold. I will avenge you myself. And It says that God even marks Cain with a mark of divine protection. And we see this mercy. God withstanding a punishment that he deserved to give him a grace that he could have never earned. And you may be here today saying, you you don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been. There's things in my life that I can't possibly ever atone for. There's things in my life that I can't possibly ever make right with God. But one of the things that I love about Scripture is in this book, we have page after page of lists and lists of killers and liars and thieves and sinners of all different varieties that not only received mercy and forgiveness by God, but then God used them for incredible and awesome things. And this story of Cain reminds us that there is no such thing as too far gone for God. Cain killed his own brother and felt nothing until he received his punishment. Cain had the chance to take ownership for what he had done. He had the chance to repent, and he chose instead that he was going to back off and just let God keep guessing till it gets it right. He had every option that he could, and then only in light of his punishment does Cain come and say, no, 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 God, I need your mercy. And yet still God hears him and still gives him that mercy. There is no depth that God's mercy can't reach and grab a hold of us and pull us out. And so we can look at these passages and say, that's not fair. And we're right. It's not. And it's a good thing that God is not fair in all occasions. Because the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, pr- we practice that every week during our confession of sin. And it teaches us that the wages of sin is death and there's no one good and no one righteous and that we can't do anything to earn God's grace and favor. And in fact, more dangerously, we're taught in Scripture that we are enemies of God. And so when we think about it that way, all of a sudden we become a little more comfortable with the idea that God is merciful to his enemies. All of a sudden it makes more sense that God would be patient and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast mercy, giving us chance after chance after chance. Because Peter says that God is patient. Not as some people count patient, but that he is steadfast and slow to anger and abounding in this mercy because he desires that no one should repent, but that everyone should come to know his forgiveness. And so God gives chance after chance after chance, time after time after time, because he wants us to come to him. He wants us to cry out for mercy. He could have sent Cain away right away because God knows in his infinite wisdom that Cain was going to cry out for mercy, and yet he didn't. He gave him chance after chance, and finally, when Cain responds, God pours out his mercy on him. And the same thing is true for each and every one of us. No matter how far gone you may feel, no matter how much you think that you've done or how much you've tipped the scales against what God could ever do for you, He is there waiting. And the minute that we call to him for mercy, the Bible says that anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what your life has been constituted of, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a declaration and a promise inside of Scripture. That as Adam said, when we are faithful to confess and repent, that he is faithful to forgive us. And that his, his mercies, his lamentation says, his mercies are new every single morning for those who desire them. And so if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus for whatever reason it may be, I want to encourage you to know that there is mercy waiting for you that Christ has made the way possible, that we don't have to earn our way to Jesus, but that we simply have to cry out to God because he's reached down to where we are already. And that if we are faithful to do that, if we are faithful to cry out for mercy and repent and believe in Christ, that he will save us from the inside out. And he'll take that burden that is too much for us to bear and he'll take it off of our shoulders and he puts it on the shoulders of Christ who is strong enough to hold it for us. And he exchanges our sin and our guilt for a robe of righteousness, taking our shame and guilt away and giving us a clean conscience and an inheritance that will last forever because of not what we do, but because of the work of Christ on the cross and the forgiveness that he brings and the hope that we have through the resurrection. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sins, you've been through baptism, then remember that we are sinners saved by grace that the only thing that separates us apart from God is the mercy and grace that he gave us in Christ. And without that, we would still be dead in our sins and trespasses. We would still be enemies of God. And yet he was patient with us, waiting and waiting time after time after time and giving us the chance to call to him for mercy. And then he pours that out on us in a way that only he can. And if that's you this morning, then rest in the mercies and the grace of Christ. And know that you have been marked for protection by God from this day forever, ever, ever, ever more. And nothing can take that away. So is God just? Yes. And is God merciful? Absolutely. And as we stand here on Palm Sunday, walking into this holy week, And as we get ready for our Good Friday service on this Friday night, as we think about the cross, recognizing that we deserve a punishment that we can't bear. And yet God so loved the world so much that he gave Christ to stand in our place and offer himself to receive that death and that punishment that we deserve so that we can stand blameless and holy in front of a just and righteous God. As we think about these things this week, hold them deep in your heart. If you've never put your faith in Christ before, please don't leave this place today without talking with me or one of our elders or community group leaders about what it means to be saved by God and how important and beautiful baptism is. But let's rest in the mercy of God that was sealed for us on the cross and in the tomb and the hope that we have that comes on Easter Sunday. And so as we go through this week, remember your sin, But also, and more importantly, remember your Savior, the God who poured out his justice on Christ for us and gave us mercy after mercy after mercy that will last from now to the ends of eternity.